you're not gonna know if I'm from Mauritius because you guys think it's paradise. But no, the actual people living there, it's an actual country we function. So fair enough to them, they don't know the different cultures that they're in Mauritius. They're Indians, they're Chinese. Cultural difference is real. By the way, free, free legal advice, guys. Take note. But the way we do that, that's different. Moving away from home. I'd heard stories about it. This isn't my home. It's changed my life. I really wish someone had told me. Hello and welcome to another episode of Statelessness. A show where the question, where are you from, might not have a simple answer. My name is Anas. And in this podcast, I interview guests to go with them behind the scenes of their life away from home to share with you the unique personal stories associated with this move. Between adversity, culture shocks, and culture-specific tips, each episode will give you a different perspective of what it's like to live away from home. Why not give us a follow on Instagram at Statelessness for mini Statelessness content and exclusive behind-the-scenes. And while you're there, give our Facebook page a like as well if you would like to be reminded when the episode is released. Again, at Statelessness. And now on to this week's guest. Honestly, I had so much fun recording this episode. My guest comes from a multicultural country with people from different backgrounds in race, religion and language. He is a first generation citizen of this country, so he faced trouble belonging and has very solid opinions to share on how life is over there. He's also a very inquisitive and curious mind. Add to that the articulate tongue he developed from studying law and you get the perfect episode. We spoke about Mauritius, life in the UK, and also how he balanced law university education with hobbies like professional investing, all while maintaining a part-time job and a balanced social life, and a healthy lifestyle, and a girlfriend. Tune in to know how my guest, the one and only... Bov makes all of this possible. Bov. Yeah. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm relaxed. Just waiting to leave, you know. Go to another country tomorrow. Oh, you're traveling? Yeah. Where yeah. to? I'm going to Netherlands. Holland? Mm-hmm. What are you doing over there? I'm going to be meeting my girlfriend. Oh, right. Yeah. But, you know, other things that you do in Netherlands... Only the people who know are. will know. So, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about looking at the tulips, you know? Oh, the tulips, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when in Rome, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about Mauritius. Mm. All right, all right. So, you're from the Mauritius island. People who don't know Mauritius, it's an African island. It's such a small island, but it's so rich in culture in uh, sightseeing out there is amazing yeah oh yeah you went there yeah. i did go there last summer remember oh damn and mauritius from how i see it and from my experience out there it's divided into cultures like culture backgrounds i think indians were sailing to it and that's how it got populated by like indians and they became mauritians yeah more or less more or less and then chinese came in later with money and then they became russians and mm-hmm. then that's so what 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 happened was the majority have an indian background because indians were brought in as laborers they were under colonial control i don't know if they were slaves don't know if they were paid or if they were subjugated some say they were slaves some say they were laborers but you know these days you have to be politically correct so you say laborers instead of slaves Wink, wink. And that was the majority population. And then they had like farms and stuff. But still most of the land was owned by the colonials, the French. Thought it was English? No, no, no. Okay. You see influences around. You definitely see them. So they owned most of the land. Primarily estates, sugar, sugar cane. That was the main export for Mauritius for quite some time. And you can say that they control the largest commercial bank in Mauritius. You can also say that everybody has accounts with them, that if that bank collapses, then the whole of Mauritius will collapse. Is that still stand? Yes. Oh, wow. So you can call it a new form of colonialism. 
financial form of colonialism. They're hiding behind a bank. That bank gives people money, but it's taking their money as well. And they depend on banks now. And you can say that the Bank of Mauritius as well can collapse. Now these are statements of opinion. I don't know what other people feel. That's how I feel after seeing things, after observing, after speaking to people. You know, sometimes you gotta make your own deductions. You don't have to listen to other people every single time. 100% agree, bro. And that's how the Indians came. Um, how the Chinese came about. Chinese, as you know, were known as traders in Asia, you know. The famous Marco Polo, when he went to China, he traded things with China and stuff like that. So they were known as good tradesmen, businessmen. Let me tell you a story about Samsung. They started as selling vegetables and stuff. Samsung? Samsung, yeah. They started selling vegetables and stuff. Then they went into stocks trading. Oh, I think it was commodity trading, but it was something to do with trading still. They created the first computer, I believe, or so, something similar to that. But the point is they were more advanced than Google and Amazon, Facebook and them guys. And they are known to have more revenue than them. Go look it up on Wikipedia. I heard they started as a refrigerator company. No. Or something that sells like... Um... Because they started much before, but they are known to have the largest revenue at that point because they have diversified in so much. Now, that means they're good tradespeople, good businessmen. Let's use business people because not all business people are men, you know. So, they came to Mauritius as business people, tradespeople. And that's how the Chinese came about. Now, black oh. people... Black people? Yeah. So, people from Africa. Now, they are a percentage of the population as well. And they came in as slaves. They came in as slaves, you can say that bluntly. Bruh. Yeah. What time is this? What year? That was when the colonial period, still colonial period. So, when Mauritius was not independent, that's how they came in as slaves. For the British, for the French. When did that last until? When we gained independence, I think it's 72 or something like that. Slavery was a thing or back there. 60s, 70s or 60s. All oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you know the history of South Africa, they abolished apartheid pretty late compared to England and them because they were urged by international communities to abolish apartheid. Only on that basis that they did so. And... That's how Nelson Mandela, his story came about, you know. So there was still slavery. Um, it was the colonial times. These places were so isolated that people mm. barely knew about them. That's one of the problems. People barely knew or know about Mauritius, you know. So that's how they came in. Now, which other cultures do you have? Ah, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I nearly forgot about them. Obviously, you have the Francos. So, the French colonials. They're known as the Francos. Right. They're everywhere. Africa, especially. Mm -hmm. They love that. They're a percentage of the population. A small population. But they still own a bloody bank, you know. So, they came in as the owners, something like that? Yeah, the estate owners of the sugar. Right. So... Let me tell you a story about them, how the economy of Mauritius developed. It mimics the same way as how their businesses develop. So as I said earlier, the sugar was the main export of the country. Now, these were owned, the sugar estates were owned by the Francos. So when the price of sugar went down in the world, they were like, Oh, what are we supposed to do with our sugar empires now? So some, what they did was they diversified. They bought hotels. Some of them own hotels, very prominent hotels in Mauritius. Five-star, six-star, seven-star hotels. In Mauritius? Mm-hmm. Some of them created energy sectors. Some of them gone into educations, uh, leisure parks, so like malls and stuff business centers so they still own the land 
that land is a very scarce thing, especially in a place like Mauritius, especially when it's known outside in the world as paradise, you know. But for a place like us, land is very scarce. Land is known to have some sense of status, how much land you own. Of course. I mean, especially today, you're thinking about real estate. It's the only industry that you're guaranteed money on. I got to tell you a funny story later about land law. But that's for later. <laughs> that's okay. Later. We'll keep uh, the land law story for later. So that's how the... Um, demographic of Mauritius is when I went there it was basically what he said I didn't see much French mm-hmm. it was yeah, mainly because, mm. sorry sorry to interrupt but that's because they have their own thing going on you know they have their own parties what I experienced once was that I was told I have very nice white friends don't get me wrong from Mauritius from Mauritius some of them are not born there but established their race there you can say a Canadian Zimbabwean and someone from a British descent now I was with them sometimes when we're all in Mauritius my Canadian friend he stays on Blue Bay which is like the best one of the best beaches in Mauritius so he stays there on the coast what like that's his house yeah that's his house his dad's a pilot and the airport is right there so Whenever we boys are in Mauritius at the same time, mm. he organizes a house party just amongst us four. Now that coast is cool Bruh. because so many of his friends are there. There's parties probably like every night and whatnot. And that's a whole other side, you know. What the party's like? So we were going to that party. We we're trying to go to that party without paying. So we were trying to go via the beach, but there were bouncers on the beach. Oh, uh, just just to make people relate to that, in Mauritius, the beaches are public. No hotel or any company can privatize the beach part. Yeah. And because all the resorts are open to the beach, and that means you can go into any resort through the beach. Mm-hmm. And that's what people in Mauritius, not people, but like, uh, like students or like 18-year-olds who just want to you know, go around, have fun. But the thing is that it's not a resort, it's their own club. It's called the Yacht Club. Yeah. And now, they told me before going in, stay with us, because these guys are racist. They're really racist, trust me. So this white Canadian dude is telling me French people, French, okay, let's not call them French, because, you know, they're not technically born in France, they're just born in Mauritius, but they're French descendants and stuff. Francos. Francos. You got it. And these guys, my white Canadian friend is telling me, these guys are racist. He warns me. And the other two white friends from Zimbabwe and the British descent guy, they tell me, oh yeah, yeah, they're racist. So stay with us. I'm like, okay. And I have two other brown friends with me. Both of them born and raised in Mauritius. And both of them studying in Canada. Oh, so they're Mauritian, but then they went to Canada. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So we both, we all rather looked at each other. We're like, what the hell is going on? So like, screw it. You know, we want to have a good night. We went in and it was a whole different vibe in there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't want to say much. I don't want to say less. I'm going to let you guys interpret what that means. Yo, I mean, I've been to Mauritian parties, the normal one. Yeah. You know, like I went with you guys and it was lit. It was lit. Mm -hmm. And then he's telling me that the French are having more fun. Now let me tell you another thing. There's something called boat party. Well, when you were in Mauritius, did you go onto the catamaran and see a massive coral? Yes, sir. Not coral. We swam with dolphins. That's a nice. And we went to see that nice rock. Oh, what is it called? That's the rock. That's the, the rock. It's a coral, actually. Oh, is it? It's just a dead coral. It's a massive coral. Yeah. It's just a dead coral out of the water. That's why it's dead. Right, but, but it that's was... called a coral island. It's so pretty. Oh, very pretty. Now, these guys, what they do is they park their boats around that and... 
when the water is shallow, you have a party on that area. Organized by French dudes, they bring a boat with speakers and stuff. Now you get a lot of beef amongst the white people as well. So, like, French people don't like South Africans. South Africans don't like French. That's how it was. That's how I perceived it as a, as a, let's call it an outsider. Let's be real, guys. I'm brown, you guys are white. We're differentiated. Okay. Let's just say we're differentiated by the color hmm. and not our minds. Okay. The white rich part of Mauritius is like, well, no, we want to be the white rich. Well, I don't know if they're rich as well. Oh, really? I don't know. Well, the South Africans. Yeah. Because they come there for like a nice island life. They settle down. Uh, they have their own like thing, let's say own community, you know. They definitely do have nice houses. That's fresh. I can't to say. Because I, I saw ugly. Mauritius. I saw the normal Mauritius, and the, it feels like I was in India. Yeah. The, the, <clears throat> the buses, the, the, the colorful buses, you, the roads you, look like Indian roads, yeah. the stalls, mm-hmm. the, you know, the grandmas walking with the uh, Peshawar. Yeah, sari. The sari, exactly. So it, it felt like India at some point. Yeah, you're right. And that's what I'm trying to say that. That area is completely different to the area that you saw, the Indian area, you know? Yeah. And you can see the difference. Like, the most clear example I can give you is in the city center. Port Louis, the capital, you can see the difference between Chinatown and, like, the colonial buildings, like the stone buildings, you know? You can see the differences. Now, imagine a difference between a place where an old granny is walking with a sari, you know, and where young white people are, like, walking in their shorts and bikinis and whatnot, you know, on the path. In the streets, just like in the streets. You see them, you see them. And I cannot actually see that happening in the, do do you call them villages or... Like oh yeah, parts. villages, villages, villages right? towns. In these towns, I cannot imagine mm-hmm. them walking in a bikini. <coughs> That's insane. Port Louis is a capital. Is it in the middle of the island? It's uh, a bit on the western side because, well, it's on the western side because it's the port. Now, if you go to the villages, you can see that there's a temple there. Um, they're like very communal houses, not massive houses. What would you say? Because I think in the village area, the overriding religion is Hindu, Hinduism. What would you say is the religion in Port Louis? You have a mix of uh, Hindus and Muslims. But over there as well, you can sense the difference where it's a Hindu-ruled area or a Muslim-ruled area, to put it in the most blunt way, you know. And they have unnecessary beef sometimes. Hmm. Beef for no reason. They're trying to establish their status for no goddamn reason. Like, just live in peace, you know? Yeah. You don't need to fight. Because I think how Mauritians feel like their identity, sort of. They don't have an identity. Like, if I tell you, like, if you have to picture a typical Mauritian... Mm -hmm. You would have a different image to what Jeff would have. Yeah. Jeff is our friend who's also Russian, but he's from the Chinese race. Um, that's not what would... I met a person in Mauritius. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Because I lived in the Gulf myself. Yeah, I know the Gulf people. They have a certain look to them. They look Arab, and then they look like... Not rich Arab, but like in a way rich Arabs. Mm-hmm. And I saw this girl, we were playing volleyball and she kept like bringing the ball back and we were like cheering for her and stuff. And she was so happy get, getting the ball when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And she can't speak English. She she speak Arabic. And I was like, where are you from? In Arabic. I was like, where are you from? Kuwait? And she told me no. And she told me a name of like a town or a city, something. And I was like, you mean Qatar? Emirates? Maybe she's naming a town that I don't know in one of these countries but it wasn't it was the name of a town in Mauritius and that's mm-hmm. where she's from she she cannot speak English she can only speak Arabic and she is Mauritian yeah so that blew my mind exactly I could exactly. not believe it, it, it mm-hmm. 
has to be golf. Um, not being racist, honestly. No, no, no. All yeah. of these are opinions, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was insane. I think in that sense, you were going to have a different image to Jeff, to that girl, mm-hmm. or to that girl's mom. They, they have different images of Merchant. And that's why you're trying always to, to belong, to feel like it would be nice to call yourself not Chinese Mauritian, but call mm-hmm. yourself Mauritian. Mauritian, yeah. You know? So it's always a fight in their own head mm-hmm. that they're portraying by, you know, not bullying, but like, yeah. not hating, but having opinions I mean, on the other race. I would say that's a really crazy thing. By the way, my parents didn't come in as laborers because we came in as business people. My parents came in after migrating from India to Kenya and then from Kenya to Mauritius. So my upbringing is different compared to the Hindu Mauritians who have been there for generations, you know. Now, even there's a difference between me and them. You can see the massive cultural differences. And then you see the differences between the Chinese and the Indians and stuff like that. But for us Mauritians, we're still considered as Mauritians. But for outsiders, that's the question. Right. If I go to a person, by the way, encounter this many times in uni. Please stop, guys. Don't do that. You're Indian? Yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> India? No, yeah. come on. <laughs> you see, I didn't even have to they tell you and you guessed it. Bro, I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you Indian? That's the first question again. I mean, okay. Let me give you guys something. You're not going to know if I'm from Mauritius because you guys think it's paradise. But no, the actual people living there, it's an actual country. We function. We've come here to study. That means we have education. We have finances. That's how we're financing our trips and stuff. So we're an actual country, you know. We're not only paradise. So fair enough to them. They don't know the different cultures that they're on Mauritius. They're Indians. They're Chinese. Cultural difference is real. Yes, sir. A Chinese guy from Mauritius doesn't... Well... I wouldn't say doesn't know, but barely knows how to speak Chinese, but is able to speak English and French, you know. And I guess that's because, um, what's the language of Creole? Creole. Yeah, that's the native language. Right. You can call it a mixture of English, Dutch, French. Primarily French. Primarily French. But it's a mixture. It's very rustic, you can say. Raw. It's raw. Right. Yeah. But... That's why French is more or less easy for you guys to learn. Well, for them it is, personally, because my parents are Indian from India. They barely know French. So my dad had to learn French and Creole because my parents, like our family, moved there for work. So in order to work there, especially back then, you had to have some form of communication. So that's how my father learned like Creole and French, but my mother, she was struggling, you know, because she had, she barely had any interaction. So that's when, like, when she was talking to, like, the drivers or the gardeners or the maids and stuff, like, she had to communicate in some way. So that's how she learned. And I can see the difference between the Creole, between my mom and dad. You know, if they barely know how to speak French, it's not that easy for me to speak French, you know. Because I speak English and I speak my own Indian language known as Gujarati, you know. That's what I speak between my parents and my siblings at times. But it was very difficult for me to learn French. I started counting in year six. Well, most kids start to learn from like year three or something like that, you know. Indians are not known how, how like to speak French. But now people are exploring, going out. Like, I can speak French. Je peux parler français. I'm not going to keep up with that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Did I sound French there? I did. How do I sound right now? British. So, you've talked about Mauritius and you've talked a bit about how people perceive you in the UK. How about when you thought about going to the UK? First of all, how did that happen? How did you end up going to university in the UK? My, I can simply say that my brother and my sister came to the UK to study. 
I guess I followed there back then as a, a naive. So I was just following footsteps of my siblings. Everybody was going to the UK at that time in Mauritius, you know, it was a thing. But there were many other places that I did not feel comfortable at. Like I knew friends were going to Germany, Netherlands, Canada, which is very far away from Mauritius, um, Amsterdam, Australia. So my friends were going there. UK back then I felt was the norm and plus I didn't know what to study exactly and I had settled on law and I was like I think law would be an interesting topic you know just for learning sake as opposed to getting a job in Mauritius I was still very unsure to be honest and I came to the UK also because of the legal system Mauritian legal system is a mix of British and French systems you know and the British system is also like a, a very popular system throughout the world, the common law systems. Yes. So I chose to come to the UK. Ended up in Newcastle, obviously. Requirements and uni requirements. You don't meet some, you get some. You choose the best one. So I was like, okay. And then I found out that Jeff and Rhea were coming. So I was like, oh shit this is going to be nice, you know. Turns out I became very close friends with them. And they, like, they've shown me to new friends, like yourself, you know. Yes, sir. So, like, that's how I ended up in Newcastle. I could have, after my foundation, I could have changed unis. I got such good grades, I could have changed uni. I could have gone to higher uni. But I was convinced, like, my life is fine in Newcastle. I got these two dumbasses love them but dumbasses over here so why am I gonna leave and then I met a couple of other friends shout out Jeff and Rhea by the way yeah and Senna and Senna and Senna awesome people yeah love Mauritius (laughs) and Cecilia by the way if you're listening Cecilia you know Cecilia yeah Jeff Slamage and Cecilia no Celia oh Cecilia Cecilia, from Reading yes the studies in university I know I know yeah and shout out the other girls in Mauritius, <laughs> Jasmine, Anna, Laura, and Ida, and to the boys, yeah, uh, Dominic, Manny, Joe Godwin, and Jeffrey Tang Wai from the Tang family. Jeff is most probably gonna be our guest also on this episode on this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Awesome stories happened in Mauritius really crazy stuff and he will tell you his perspective from the Chinese Mauritian sorry to, sorry to offend anyone I just mean let's Mauritian say, with a Chinese let's say race. his own personal perspective yeah you don't know if he's talking about all Chinese Mauritians yeah everybody has their own view of course that's absolutely true um I'm really curious how was the life like in the UK starting from the beginning okay So, quick background, I did a foundation, and then I went to uni. That's a very quick background. (laughs) Both Um, in Newcastle. Both in Newcastle, exactly. So, foundation, yeah. I did not know what to expect. When I saw my parents leave, then I was like, whoa, this is real. I'm going to stay in another country without parents, without knowing anyone. And... I'm going to live my life here for a couple of years, you know. So the first thing I did was I contacted Rhea and Jeff to meet up with them, you know. And these are the two uh, Mauritians who also joined. They are at Newcastle and they're part Mm -hmm. of the reason why you chose Newcastle. By the way, they were at my school as well. Back in Mauritius? Back in Mauritius. Did you know them? Yeah, we were in the same friend circle. We were not that close, like... Within a friend circle, obviously, you have more friend circles, you know. So, we're not that close. We just knew about each other, like, joked around and stuff like that. But over here, I got to know them, and they're pretty awesome. Nice. So, I also want to ask you, when you came to the UK, apart from Jeff and Rhea, did you know anyone else? Um, I knew a few Mauritians... But that was because they hosted a freshers' dinner, 
in Mauritius. Right. So we got to knew the Mauritians who were already here, some of the Mauritians, I guess. And they're pretty awesome too. Like the most awesome people are Shannon and Jonathan, who are legends because their jokes are funny as hell. They themselves are crazy people. Shout out Shannon and Jonathan. Did you, were you close with these guys? Were you close with the the seniors? After we came to Newcastle, yes. They were like, you can say they were taking care of us. They were showing us how to party here as Mauritians, you know. They were pretty awesome. So you met them in that dinner, but how was that dinner organized in Mauritius? By the committee members. So when you hand over society, the new committee members come in and most likely if you're a first year Mauritian, you're most likely to go back home. I want to say always, most likely. So they organize Freshers Dinner to see which Mauritians are coming to Newcastle. And then they give them, you exchange contact numbers and stuff like that. So we're like a little community, you know. You go abroad, you guys should stick together, you know. Look out for each other. So that's how you get to know them, the committee members organize it. Plus it's part of their society job. You want to get as most members as you want but summer holidays, like summer three holidays. Months, you know. So that's one year into uni. That is after your freshers year. A lot of things must have happened in freshers year. How did you live in Newcastle for one year before you got introduced to the Mauritians and you got introduced to that Mauritian cycle apart from Ria and Jeff? Like first year, you know, you want to let go of yourself because you're not in Mauritius anymore. You don't have to stick to Mauritian rules you know you literally your parents are not here so you can do whatever you, you want but because we've been raised in a good manner we respect whatever we do as well we don't go very crazy you know we'll go drink and stuff like experience the Newcastle life as you say but we respect it so you just enjoy yourself we're having crazy parties going multiple times out in a week so it's basically letting let go of yourself. And then came first year of my law degree. Now, foundation year, I felt it was a great year. Partying every time, exploring new things. And I mean new things. And getting awesome grades by barely even working. Got a scholarship for part funding. <clears throat> so foundation year was great. And... Better yet, first year does not even count towards your degree. So, you know, I'm going to go crazy there. Like First year, we used to go out. I went out with Rhea, just me and Rhea going out to a club and a casino. And it was dope. Like, you're, you've calmed down the partying a bit, but you're still partying, you know. And then came second year. Assignments counted. Exams counted. Everything you, we did counted. So we had to work, you know. But we still went crazy, we were still exploring, we were still partying. I was doing my own thing, doing investments and this and that. I was starting to get involved in the finance, keeping busy. And now third year, I'm staying alone. And I have more time in my home to reflect. You put your own music, you have silence in the house, or you just take your time in the shower. Like when you're doing that, you have time to reflect on those things. Um, takes time, takes effort and takes maturity um, how did you you said you did law yeah but you don't want to do law oh yeah 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 you changed careers you changed well, your career paths about, yeah, career paths yeah. you changed yeah, career yeah, paths yeah absolutely right absolutely and um, how are you finding that I mean I started I started investing probably last year or the year before Actually, no, in my foundation, my first investment was a cryptocurrency, Ethereum coin. Crashed, lost a lot of money. So that's my lesson, you know. <laughs> and then I started reading and I started learning about stocks and funds and whatnot. Now, as a law student, you don't go reading into another sector, let's say, especially when you're a first year because you're partying every time. But I had a strong interest in that, and I invested many of my stocks, uh, a bit of them in cannabis in Canada. Once the whole world get, 
gives a regulatory approval, that is going to boom, and that's going to be in no time. And a couple of funds in the UK and a fund in America. And that's how I started my investing. You talk. developed that interest. Um, yeah, you get growth, you have to follow the news and whatnot. That's all beside your law studies. Yes, and everything beside my law studies. So I was doing extra. Yeah. And law on its own, I hear it's pretty tough yeah, to keep up with. Crazy. It's crazy that people should know about certain things that they do not know about because they don't know the law. It is so crazy. And there's so much to know about. That's why it's such a very hard subject because you have, you have to know about where that law came from. What is that law? What is the source of that law? People, and there the, are average, of those. the average guy doesn't know that. No, it's, it's I mean, I have an, a story to tell you. Happening last week or something like that. Oh, fresh. Yeah, very fresh. Um, basically, the heaters started, stopped rather working. I was freezing my ass off. The water, hot water stopped working. And I had complained about the heaters all the way in November. And there were many other things I complained about that they, they, they did not attend to. My washing machine had broken down. And I tolerated the delays for quite some time. And then I decided to send them a bomb. By the way, it's not a real bomb, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about a legal bomb. <laughs> We do not condone any bomb activities. <laughs> Just to make it clear, I Preach. might be Arab, I might be Muslim, but <laughs> you never know these days, you have to let it known. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right, please change that word. Use Fine. something else. A letter. <laughs> I, a letter. Yeah. You dropped a letter. Via email. Okay. What so, did that letter say? Considering I know land law. From your law studies. From my law studies. By the way, the land laws of this country are complex and many rights you have. So I realized that I was being very apathetic and this, these things are really helpful. So I knew the rights I had under the contract I signed. So you have contract law. A contract law is one bit. But when you have ownership or like a lease, which is called an interest in a land... That means you have a upgraded set of rights above your contract, especially when you're a landlord, when you're a tenant and you have a landlord. So I knew those. And these guys, by the way, free, free legal advice, guys, take note. These guys had not fixed my heaters for, let's say, 18 days. And 15 days is their complaints procedure. Hmm. They went well above that. Now, they told me that it didn't. They did not register that as an official complaint. I'm like, it doesn't matter if I use your complaint format or not. I informed you via email that there is an issue and it's the substance of that issue which is to be treated as a complaint. Okay. So if you send a complaint by email, then it has to be registered as a complaint. Now, I'm dealing with the estate agent because the landlord is an appointed estate agent. So I'm dealing with them. And they are not reacting, communicating with me in a friendly manner, amicable manner. I'm saying my pleas and thank yous, but I told them that they are in breach of their contract. They are in breach of statutory obligations. So statutory obligations are laws made by parliament, which is considered to be a higher status of law compared to laws made by judges and whatnot. And laws made by parliament are laws of the people because the people elected the parliament. So they have breached the laws of the people, you can call it, and they're denying their breach. And they're in breach of their contract, in breach of their covenants. They have trespassed because they did not consent. To, I did not consent to someone coming into my property. Breach of trespass. And you knew about that from your studies? Oh, yeah. And also, I did an uh, internship at a law firm, so I know how to draft legal letters. Mm. So I bombarded him in an email saying, <laughs> you're in breach of this, 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 this. But I will accept that you are in the wrong, provided you give me a reduction in my rent. 
So the first stage before initiating any legal proceedings is first communicate with the person and see whether they're ready to accept a settlement to the dispute or whether they're willing to do anything else to settle the dispute so that you don't sue them. They accepted certain things and they denied certain things, but they did not give me what I wanted, my reduction in rent, because my heater is not working mm-hmm. and my water heater is not working and my laundry wasn't working. So they did not accept a reduction in rent. And I was like, fine, I won't pay rent. Now, by law, you're not allowed to not pay rent. But I was like, it's going to be the holiday period and I don't want to cause stress to myself and them as well. So I'll pay my rent for the holiday period. And I extended their amount of days to solve my issues. So I told them, I'll give you till next year on my next rent date. If you do not solve any of the issues that I mentioned, and if you do not cover my costs for these expenses, I'm going to withhold rent on that rent day. And because of my studies, I know that for residential properties, they are not allowed to take, simply take you out of the property. They have to get an order from the court, which in which the court will summon me. So I need to go to court and they would tell them, they would tell the court he's not paying his rent. I would tell the court, well, they haven't fixed any of this. They should be charged of trespass and they have breached their obligations as landlords, you know. And I literally spelled every single thing, the exact explanation I gave you, I spelled that out in the email. I'm like, look, guys, I'm not going to pay my rent. I don't care. You can go look for a court order. The court will call me in. I'm going to tell them that you have not uh, solved your disrepairs. Disrepairs are basically things that need repairing in the property. Mm. You have not rectified your disrepairs. And the court is most likely to say that um, you are supposed to solve your disrepairs and he will give you this much rent for this period until you solve your disrepairs and you will deduct this much rent. I know they will say that because I went on one or two cases during my internship and both cases ended up like that. These are known as very minor cases, eviction notices. Imagine how many eviction notices getting around all of England. So I saw two of them and even there are the laws, but the judge still uses discretion to mitigate the issue, you know, because the importance is that people need a place to stay. You're not going to evict a person for no reason. So the court is going to give the tenant a chance to tell their story. So I know that they will have to postpone rent or reduce rent and whatnot. So things like that. Imagine how much you will spend on a lawyer or how much you will suffer if your bloody heater doesn't get fixing and you don't know the law. And you don't have any deterrent against people who have more power than you. You're a tenant, like as a landlord, you know. Well, so that's a that's a, that was my story last week. Very very exciting story and very important to note because to be honest, even my little encounter with uh, with law in my first year was business law. So we did contract law with the employment law. Uh, there was one negligence law. Oh, tort law. Tort law. So we did them. And to be honest, learning some of these things, I, I realized some of these are very important in day-to-day life. I should be knowing about my employment rights. If I was just an employee, I would never care about the employee rights. I wouldn't know what they are. I could be abused in that sense, and I wouldn't know. But learning that was really helpful to give me that perspective to to show me that the law is very important to know you need to pay more attention to the you know the user agreements that you do the the things that you sign what are you signing because a little clause in it might mean a lot even when i was part starting this podcast there was a web host or sorry a podcast host rather mm. who seems to be free so they don't charge for their hosting services, which you usually would pay at least 10 to $15 to get your podcast hosted per month. I thought that was the normal, but I found this free company. I was like, okay, it's interesting. I'm not going to pay for um for hosting. But upon reading the reviews, because I'm an average customer, even though I know I should be reading the terms of contract, but I know that if everyone else is doing it, then there's probably nothing wrong with it. Um, so I didn't 
read the actual terms and when i check the reviews they they say in the in the thing that you signed that they own your content whatever you post on there they own it at any point they can delete it they can edit it as as much as they want and um they can throw you it's copyright law oh is that a separate law yeah i didn't know about there's that there's entertainment law there's patent law oh there's uh, commercial law international law public international private international law <laughs> the list goes on mhm it's a very interesting field and i'd i'd have loved to explore it to be honest i'd have loved to to maybe get the information without going through the actual studying for it yeah yeah cuz that's a just very... like the basic know-hows you know hmm. of the right to have in your bloody life yes but i guess that's why they have the lawyers because you need to in order to understand that you have to actually go to the source of the mm-hmm. law in order to understand that yeah. i guess that's why they have lawyers to read those things and give advice to people that don't have time to read those things i never understood the importance of lawyers before that moment like my family have never used lawyers in their life mm. so i never understood the importance of them until seeing things like that um you also worked in the uk how mm-hmm. was working in the uk you got to play the system to beat the system as you say right now i'm working as a law library assistant some say it sounds nice some say it sounds boring but i find it nice cuz what i only need to do is check the headcount reshelf books like you know general sorting out of the library and there's not much of that to do that especially late evening in the weekends so like 5 to 8 that's not, that's barely late especially for a student so basically i just go there do the work i need to do which is like probably max 40 minutes and i have another 2 hours 20 minutes to bash out my work so basically i'm paid for 40 minutes of my job and 2 hours 20 minutes of working on your own studies mm-hmm. i just b- get paid to study i guess you get paid to study yeah and it's awesome like i can get things uh, like i bought two ps4 controllers i bought a coffee machine get that put a goddamn coffee machine it's a russell hobbs as well it's a nice <laughs> machine we just made the coffee out of it and uh very beautiful this is honestly like the liquid cake um last question yeah you say you study law mhm someone is calling yo I'm recording an episode, bro. Yeah, but he's always recording. He's literally he's 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 recording the podcast right now. You are in an episode yeah. right now, son. Yeah. That's Dominic. Um so I'm sorry, last question. You said you you did law and then you did investment banking on the side. Um cuz you you wanted to explore that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you realize this your interest and then you also worked like you were saying yeah 3 hours a day that's a lot of things already how did you manage that how did you well go through it first of all you got to keep a healthy social and physical life like your body needs to be healthy and mentally as well you need to be healthy how do you do that um usually through sports um socializing letting yourself go uh reflection like being balanced having some fresh air doing yoga breathing is very helpful meditation but obviously you don't have time to do all of these things sometimes you know so many hours in a day but that's why you got to you got to join the 5am club really you can ask my girlfriend she's a witness <laughs> Well, that's that's great, man. How'd you do it? I don't know. Just put an alarm five in the morning, go to sleep ten, eleven, and wow. do it the next day. Sports, healthy food, work, relaxation. 
it's I mean it's tough to wake up at five in the morning once you get a routine then it's fine you know and the idea of a 5 a.m club is known in the financial world as how else as it's basically trying to say how else do you get so many things done in a day you know you wake up at 5 a.m nice so that's your tip to to people who want to do yeah. more you have so many hours during a day that you can't do much you know like five to nine you have four hours before the work day starts Off then you day. have nine to five which is the actually working time mm-hmm. and then you have five to ten or eleven it's yeah. a good way to put it mm. interesting i mean it's not easy but life is easy in general life is suffer shout out jordan peterson so um cool thank you for being here no Paul. thank you for having me this Thanks has been great for me too oh i hope i provided you with good content i hope Absolutely. your viewers are satisfied um by the way all of the statements i am making are simply opinions so don't be offended i will always respect your views we are all different so i will always respect you guys so you're entitled to have your own views so am I and so is our beloved host over here Mr. Anas yes sir that was a very articulated very well articulated piece of I think legislation that he just dropped on you guys um, (laughs) make you know your rights and you know just make it clear disclosure agreement in Mm -hmm. case you're offended you cannot be offended because I told you not to be offended this guy gets it Yeah, this guy gets how the system works (laughs) right um this has been the episode thank you for tuning in if you like the episode why not share it with a friend sharing is caring if you want exclusive mini statelessness content find us on facebook and instagram at statelessness please 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 also give the podcast a follow subscribe on wherever you're listening to the episode from right now be it youtube apple podcast google podcast whatever it is and I'll see you next week with another statelessness. Home is where the heart is. It's incredible. I'll be keeping an eye on that one.